0: Father, we want to thank you today for your incredible love. We stand here, we sit here, we kneel before you, and we say we love you, amen. Mm. It is Memorial Weekend, and if you have served in the uniformed services, Army, Marines, I suppose Air Force. (laughs) Love you, Mark. Navy, Coast Guard, please stand. Thank you for your service. And thank you for the services of those who did not come home. So Luke 16, get out my little thingy here, is what do we have to offer? Stories of responsibility. You know, I looked at the sermons... I looked at the chapters. I look at Randy getting Luke 15. I mean, come on, how easy can it get? (laughs) And I get Luke 16 again. What's the deal with that one? I get these ones that are like, really, Lord? Why are you giving me these tough ones? But I want you to say that life is like a bottle of shampoo. If you get down there where it says, to use wet hair thoroughly, lather, rinse, REPEAT. SO LIFE IS LIKE THAT. WE GET UP. WE GET DRESSED. WE GO TO WORK. WE EAT DINNER. WE DO DISHES AND LAUNDRY AND YARD WORK. AND IF WE'RE NOT GOING TO WORK, WE DO SCHOOL. AND THEN WE DO HOMEWORK. WE GO TO BED AND WE REPEAT THE WHOLE PROCESS. HAVE YOU EVER NOTICED THAT? Wash, rinse, repeat. It's the same old process. But in our process of life cycle, we are still driven to have fun. I enjoy having fun. We are driven to spend time with family, to watch the NBA playoffs. Honestly, now, who's been watching the NBA playoffs? Come on. It's confession time. All right. All right. Who has not been watching the NBA playoffs? Good for you good for you. You're not addicted. That's good. But I do have a question. Cavs or Celtics? Come on. Okay. Celtics say, yay. Yay. Cavs say, yay. Yay. Eh. (laughs) Warriors or Rockets? Warriors. Rockets. Got some, got some flashing back in the background, and the, uh, in the children's waving, saying, "Don't forget me, don't forget me." Uh, I do have a question for you, though. Why is it easier for us to spend more time talking about basketball than about God? Why is it easier for us to talk about the weather, how hot it is, how cold it is, how much it's raining, how much we need the rain, than about God? Why is it easier for us to spend more time talking about what Trump is doing, what Trump isn't doing, what Brown is doing, what Brown isn't doing, than for us to talk about God? So, in Luke 16, if you have your Bible, please open it. Luke 16, in your pew Bible, if you're using that, or your electronic Bible. I don't know what page it is in your electronic Bible. You'll have to figure that out. Pew Bible, page 740. We have the parable of the shrewd manager. And Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you... Cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm not, I too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of his master's debtors, and he said the first, How much do you owe the master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The master told him, Take your bill quickly, make it 400. And said to the second, How much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat. And he replied, And he told him, Take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager, for he acted truly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So we have the story of the, the shrewd manager. And I thought, Oh, Lord. This is not going to be an easy one, really. Purpose of parables. Parables are to convey generally one specific truth, one one idea, not multiple ideas, although often we can get more than one idea out of them. But there's a focal point. So we have this. We have God as the master. We have the unjust servant as who? Who? Israel. We have the duty. What is the duty of the unjust manager? The duty of any manager is to attend to the master's business. So we have the master, God, the God creator, God the savior. Again, we have the unjust Israel. And the duty of Israel was to share God's love. Unfortunately, they kind of maintained an air of superiority. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I know more things than you. We're special. You're not. We move on to the rich man and Lazarus. Same chapter. There was a rich man who was dressed in fine purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gates was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even dogs came and licked his wounds, sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In hell where he was in torment, he looked up at Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. And he called to him, Father Abram, have pity on me, send Lazarus to dip his finger, the tip of his finger in the cool water and cool my tongue because I am tormented in the flames. And Adam replied, my son, remember in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides, this between us is a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to there cannot and nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He said, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Abram replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abram, but if someone will come from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone comes from the dead. What does Lazarus represent? Those who struggle in the world, the orphans, the widows, the aliens. What does a rich man represent? Those who have something to offer but withhold their gifts. Israel. What's the issue? The issue here is the rich man could have changed Lazarus' life, but he didn't. He chose not to. What does the rich man want? He wants, have mercy, let Lazarus dip his finger in the water. I remember singing that in high school. Dip your finger in the water, come cool my tongue, because I'm tormented in the flames. Anyone ever sing that in high school? Send Lazarus to my family. They'll listen to him, and God says, they have the law and prophets. They have everything they need. They're just not willing to pay attention to it. What does the Bible say? I got ahead of myself, sorry. So in Luke 16, we have two parables dealing with basically the same thing. Opportunity lost and responsibility ignored, or because responsibility was ignored opportunities were lost if we take a closer look at the untrustworthy servant he didn't do his job he realized he was in trouble he began making friends to save his skin israel israel ah, gosh they just didn't fulfill god's purpose they fell short time and time again they didn't make, even make friends with the other nations. All they really did was make the other Asian, nations angry by their superiority complex. One of the keys is Luke 16, verses 10 to 13 here. Read with me. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous, oh, excuse me, if then you have not been faithful in in the unrighteous wealth who will entrust you with true riches and if you have not been faithful in what that which is in others who will give you that which is your own no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money do you remember what Israel was supposed to do Hmm? Israel was supposed to share God's love. What image of love were they supposed to portray? It was illustrated in our children's story. It was illustrated in the song. Exodus 34. The Lord passed before Him proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and trespass and sin. And who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and fourth generations. A God of justice. What about Psalm 145? We have here, we have the Lord upholds all who are falling down and raises up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look on you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. This was the image that God of God that Israel was supposed to share. But if that's the image that they were supposed to share, what was their responsibility now? All right, so their responsibility was a little bit different. Similar but different. Not intellectual information, not just words. So, with my kids. This thing does not work behind my back. I have to remember that. I should fix that. My kids. I taught them, never trash talk anyone in sports who cannot completely destroy you. Did you get that? You are only allowed to trash talk people that are going to be able to kick your butt. If they're worse than you, don't trash talk them. If they want to trash talk you, well, whatever. We have this little saying, facta non verba, which means deeds, not words. Someone trash talks you, just flick your skin and blow it off. Who cares? Show them on the court. Show them on the field. Deeds, not words. Israel was supposed to show some stuff, but they didn't. If the shrewd manager is telling us about what God is like, Israel is telling us about what they're supposed to be doing. And what was Israel's responsibility? In Deuteronomy 10, for the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not who is not partial and takes no bribe. Ooh. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves a sojourner and gives him food and clothing. And in Psalm 68, sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides in the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is the God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, he leads out the prisoners were singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. What was Israel's responsibility? Micah 6.8. I love Micah 6.8. Remember that song we sang that? Remember that? He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. This, in fact, is Paradise Adventist Academy mission statement. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Now, we have to contrast this to the gods of the other nations, the gods of the uh, Palestine, Molech. Who in the world was Molech? Who was Asherah? Who was Baal? Well, not really nice people. The gods at that time were not really good people. In fact, basically they were glorified humans full of emotions. All the bad ones, mainly lust, hunger, spite, greed. These gods were to be feared, and these gods were to be appeased. So we have Molech, a male god. His consort was Asherah. And one of the highest forms of worship for Molech was child sacrifice. They would take their child in the altar of Molech. They had a fire, big bronze things. they uh, evidently was a, a round structure and they'd build this fire and the arms would superheat. And then they'd take the babies and they'd drop the babies on these arms and sacrifice them. And they did this so that the family would have prosperity. And the gods required this, required this. And God says that is a detestable thing. The worship of Moloch was part of the fertility cults, temple prostitutes. Asherah, the female god of fertility and war, temple prostitutes. And the Baals, let's literally mean Lord. The Baals are generally, if it talks about a Baal, it's any of those gods other than Yahweh. Temple prostitutes, the fertility cults. We wonder sometimes how God says, go out and wipe out everything. Man, women, children, everyone. So, interestingly enough, in the worship of Moloch and Asherah, the temple prostitutes were how old? They were children. They would take their young girls to the temple to serve as prostitutes until they began menstruating. little kids, little, little kids, male and female. The other gods, what did they offer? They demanded things, they demanded child sacrifice, they demanded to be served. They were local gods who fought each other, they were the result of some cosmic battle in which the god who was destroyed, his blood dropped and where the blood dropped, that god was the God of that region, which is why they all had their individual gods. And what did Israel have to offer? Israel had to offer a God of love. Jeremiah 31, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. A God of creation. In the beginning, God created. A God who defends the weak as we've read already. What did Israel have to offer? A God who came to serve and to save. Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering, and yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. That's the God that Israel was to portray in comparison to the God that said, bring your oldest child Put them on the altar and burn them. Take your young girls and your young boys, take them to the temple and let them serve as prostitutes for the sexual gratification of a very demented and sick culture. And yet somehow Israel was not able to do this. What did they do? In Isaiah 1, see how the city, see how the faithful city has become a prostitute? She was once full of justice, Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes. They chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The case of the widow has not come before them. In Jeremiah, among my people are the wicked who lie in wait like men who snare birds, like those who set traps to catch people. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful. They have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They, seek, they do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the cause of the poor. So what does it matter? So what? How does that affect me? What do we have to offer What we have to offer is God who holds our hand and guides us through the pitfalls of life. And it's true, we have the promises of protection lest we dash our foot upon the stone. And yet this church, I know of tragedy. And sometimes the foot gets dashed on the stone. but we still hang on to God. But because we have a God who calms us in the storm, who's there for us. We have a God of love, a God of compassion. Or do we have a God of concerned with what I eat? Is that what we have to offer? we have a God of vegetarians? Do we have a God who's concerned with what I wear? A God of jewelry? Do we have a God concerned that I have to please him? A God of rules and regulations? Is that what we have to offer as a church, as the denomination? Or do we offer a vision of a God of love and compassion and hope? But what are our responsibilities? What are our duties? What are we doing and what are we missing? What do we have to offer? One of the things we have to offer is the three angels' message. It's a pillar of the Seventh-day Adventist church. But it's also a message that we have used to install fear or attack others. So what's at the heart of the three angels' message? What do we have to offer? First, and then I saw an angel flying in the midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. In the first angels' message, we have the everlasting gospel. We serve a God of love. We serve a God who came to serve and to save. And because we serve a God of love, because we have faith, and because He came to save us, we have nothing to fear from judgment. What do we have to offer? Romans 8. What then shall I say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare His Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He also not along with us graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that has been raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword, it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We, considered, we are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. That's the first angel's message right there. That's one of the things we have to offer. Second angel. Fallen fallen as Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink of the maddening wine of her adulteries. Basically, the system of this world has failed. The devil has failed. It has been destroyed whether I suffer or not, whether I have trouble or not, Christ has won. The second man- in the second angel's message, there is a message of the self-serving, warning of power hungry, money grabbing, me first, people saying, that system is broken. And if you buy into that system, or any of those systems, it will drive you crazy and you will lose. But there's an alternative to that system. Jesus. If we have bought into Jesus, then we have nothing to fear that Babylon has fallen. And the third angel, what do we have to offer? A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast and his image and receives its mark and their foreheads are in their hands, they too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the wrath of his cup, or cup of his wrath. And they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. The smoke of the torment will go up forever and ever, and there will be no rest for them day or night, for those who worship the beast or his image, or for anyone who receives his mark. And the third angel If you focus on the wrong things, you're going to lose. If you buy into a fallen system, it will mark your thoughts and your heart. If that is where your hope is, in power and money and control, you will lose. So what do we have to offer? There's a song. It says, the cross is the final word. It's wrong. It's a good song. It's wrong. The cross alone is not the final word because the cross alone is just an instrument of torture. The cross and the empty tomb, that's the final word. Amen. Amen. So what do we have to offer? The heart of the three angels' message is that the cross and the empty tomb have the final word. A word of love, a God who came to serve and to save. A word of compassion, a God who calls us to serve. And a word of hope, a God who brings us hope. And in Luke 16, in these two passages, Christ is saying, what were you doing? And what were you supposed to do? And so we have to ask ourselves, as Christians, what are we doing, and what are we supposed to do? We are called to show the world a God of love, a God of compassion, and a God of hope. That's what we're called to do. Father, we want to thank You for Your incredible love. We struggle, we hurt, we wonder, we trust, and we hope. Help us to share your love, your compassion, and your hope in all that we do. And all the people said,